Well, good morning, everybody. Wow. All right, let's do that again. Good morning, everyone. Excellent, excellent. Hey, uh, again, thanks for being with us in person. Thanks for being with us online today. If we haven't met, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and we're just glad to have you here. Uh, The snow and the holiday, I was like, who's going to come to church, right? Um, So thanks for being with us on this Thanksgiving weekend. Hopefully you got a ton of football. There are great games this afternoon. I cannot wait. Uh, And a lot of food and time with family. Um, But most importantly, hopefully you had an opportunity just to be grateful to God uh, for the ways that he has blessed you in your life. And so before we jump into things message-wise, we're just going to take a minute and pray and try and um, just remind ourselves to be grateful again and invite God to be part of this conversation. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much just for all your goodness in our lives that we woke up this morning and had breath in our lungs. Most of us woke up in our right minds. Father, thank you. Um, We are here in the United States. We won life's lottery. We have more, so much more, than so many others. Father, thank you that we have Jesus, that we can be forgiven, that we can be changed, that we can be different. Just help us to be people who are grateful, and just as we take time to um, look at some of the things that Jesus taught this morning, we just pray for eyes and hearts to hear his truth for our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, who can tell me the date? November 28th. It's not a trick question, all right? I will mess with you later. I'm not going to mess with you when it comes to the date here. So it's November 28th, and here's what that means. This is a unique time of year. happens every calendar year. But this is the time of year in America. This is the weekend where we go from being thankful for to wanting more. All right? This happens in about a 24-hour period in our country every year. All right? We go, we go from Thanksgiving and stopping to be thankful for what we have. And then in 24 hours, we shift to wanting more than what we've already got. Now, you know, and we've experienced this. I mean, it's, it's happened to us this weekend, right? We've already gone through Black Friday and Small Business Saturday. And tomorrow is what? Cyber Monday, right? You know, this is the time of year that the glossy, full-color catalogs just come and keep coming and keep coming. I already spent about a half an hour sitting in front of the fireplace going through those, trying to convince my wife that Jesus wants us to have a 70-inch TV. Amen? Thank you. All right. I heard it over there, all right? So you need to just get with my wife on that. I mean, it just, it just keeps coming. This is a time of year where our culture, if ever our culture is going to push consumerism, this is the time of year for it. Now, you may be sitting there and thinking to yourself, ah, it's really not that bad. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself, no, it's way worse than that. But we can probably all agree, this is the time of year where, where marketing gets revved up and all kinds of time and energy and money are, are being pushed to get us to think about Christmas from the, the mindset of what am I going to get rather than what am I going to give? How am I going to consume instead of how am I going to contribute? 
And the, the, the fact is, we can all fall prey to that. If I'm honest, there have been all kinds of Christmases where I have fallen prey to that. And, and the crazy part is, I don't realize it until the day after. Like, in the midst of that Christmas season, when that's happening to me, I don't realize it's taking place. But when Christmas, you know, day after comes, the 26th comes, if you're a good Canadian, Boxing Day, um, I know it's happened to me. And the way that I know is, you know, Christmas is coming, and I've got more stuff than most people on the planet. And Christmas Day happens, and I've got even more stuff than I had before Christmas came. And then the day after hits, and I've got this disappointed, let down, empty feeling inside of me. It's the Christmas letdown. And when that happens, it's happened to me enough times, I've, I've figured out it's because I got like sucked into the consumerism of our culture as Christmas was coming. So t- today, we just want to take some time to, to be aware of that and, and to remind ourselves that Christmas is about something different. That ultimately, Christmas is about God's love expressed to us. The Advent season is about God's love given to you and me. And it's the kind of love that is meant not just to be received, but to be received and in turn shared with others. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not against you giving and receiving gifts with your family. I'm going to do that with mine. I hope you do that with yours. But again, this season, we just want to be aware of the, the trap of consumerism that we can fall into. And we want to encourage ourselves not to get caught into that trap and instead to love well. Now, Jesus once told a story that is just incredibly relevant to all of this. It's not a Christmas story, but again, it's relevant to this time of year and the culture that we live in. And Jesus had occasion to tell his story because Jesus was teaching and he struck a nerve with somebody and they responded. If you read about Jesus' ministry and the biographies that capture his life, the first four books of the New Testament, Jesus is always teaching in those books. And from time to time as Jesus is teaching, he'll, he'll get into somebody's head. He will strike a nerve with somebody in his audience. And when he does, different people responded differently. Some people, they would just blow Jesus off. They'd manage to push him right back out of their head and go about their business and not think about it any differently. Some people, Jesus would strike a nerve and they would get angry. In fact, some of them would get so angry, they're like, we need to kill this guy. And sometimes Jesus would strike a nerve with people, and they'd get introspective. And they would change, and their lives would move in a different direction. In this instance, Jesus, he strikes a nerve. And the nerve he strikes is with somebody who's an expert in the law. Basically, a little bit different than how we think of a lawyer today, uh, in some ways very similar. Um, but th- this person, they had devoted their lives to the study of the Old Testament law and how the law of Moses could be applied to every conceivable circumstance in life. Now, Jesus strikes a nerve with this lawyer, and this, this lawyer, he, he responds back to Jesus. He, he asked Jesus, a question. It's described for us this way. On one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. So Jesus strikes a nerve 
And this lawyer's going to test him. He's going to try and trap him. He's going to try and get Jesus tripped up publicly, discredit the way he's teaching, so that this lawyer doesn't have to deal with how Jesus has gotten into his head and is messing with his sense of stability in life. And so the lawyer says to Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now again, the, the, the lawyer, he doesn't care. He's really not interested in what Jesus has to say about this. He's trying to test Jesus and trip him up. And Jesus knows this. He's aware of what's going on. But, but as Jesus oftentimes does, Jesus is going to meet this man where he's at in an effort to try and take him to where he needs to be. Jesus is going to take what this, what this lawyer means to be an abstract theological discussion and try and bring it into the realm of practical, real-life, applicable things. And so Jesus turns it back on the lawyer and he asks him a question back. He says, how do you read it? In other words, you're the expert here. What does your Bible say? You tell me. And the lawyer, he gives Jesus an answer that's worthy of his title and that's worthy of his education. He quotes two of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you're like, I, I've read that in the New Testament. You probably have because they plagiarized it from the Old Testament. But Jesus recognizes this is a good answer. And he tells the guy as much. He says, you have answered correctly. But again, Jesus wants to take this conversation out of the abstract and put it into the practical. He, he wants it to be more than just a theoretical conversation. He wants it to actually apply to life. And so Jesus says to him, yeah, you've given me a good answer. Do this and you will live. You're right. To love God with every fiber of your being, to let that love so saturate your life that it spills out of your life and into the lives of those around you. You really want to know what it means to be alive the way God intended you to in this life. You really want to be ready for the life to come. It's a good answer. But don't just talk about this stuff. Don't just teach about this stuff. Don't just theorize about this. No. Do this. And you'll live. Now, just like that, Jesus gets back into this guy's head. Turns the table on this lawyer. And this lawyer finds himself wrestling with questions that he didn't want to wrestle with. Questions like, well, do I really do this? Do I really love God this way? And has God's love gotten beyond something just theoretical? And is it really soaked into my life in such a way that it impacts how I treat other people? Do I really love my neighbor the way I want my neighbor to love me? And so we're told that this lawyer, that he wants to justify himself. See, lawyers haven't changed that much after all, have they? Just a little fun for my lawyer friends out there. There you go, Diane. Yeah, right? Okay. So um, 
But he wants to justify himself. He's thinking, okay, I probably don't love the way that I'm supposed to love. I probably don't love God the way that I'm supposed to love God. But that's hard to quantify. That's hard to measure. It's hard to look at somebody and figure out how much they love God. But it's easy to figure out how much, are they loving their neighbor well or not? This guy, he might even have people in the crowd who know this guy hadn't loved me like he loved himself. And so he wants to justify himself to Jesus. He wants to justify himself to himself. He wants to justify himself to the people who are watching. And so he asked Jesus this question. Well, who's my neighbor? See, if I can limit who my neighbor is, then I can limit you know, who I have to love, how much I have to love. I can justify some of the self-absorbed existence that I have. And in answer to this question, Jesus tells his story. Now again, it's a famous story. It's one that many of us are probably familiar with. It's, it's known as the story of the Good Samaritan, and it starts like this. Man was traveling. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now again, many of us are familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan and the trouble at churches. You get so familiar with stories, you kind of get numb to them. So to help break through some of the numbness and just have a little bit of fun with this, let's, let's say this. Let's, let's say this person going from Jerusalem to Jericho is Nicole, all right? Now, if you don't recognize Nicole, Nicole is our interim worship leader. She was just singing up here at Faith. She's covering worship while Kat is on maternity. And if you're looking at these slides and you are really impressed with the graphics today, all right, I just want you to know I did all of these myself, all right? You can, you can compliment me afterwards. I literally went online, you know, printed the pictures, cut them out with sinners, you know, scissors, double-sided, taped them onto the paper, and, and, and then ran it through the scanner. This is amazing stuff, right, Marcus? Yeah, I can tell. You're impressed back there. So, Nicole's heading Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I'll give you a little context. This is not a good road. It is a steep road. It is a rocky road. It is uh, full of caves and hollows, and it is known for its criminal activity. You know, N Nicole, stylish as always in her robe choices, all right, has made a bad choice in her travel arrangements. She should know better than to travel alone. But for whatever reason, she does. And while she's traveling alone, she gets robbed. Now, we all know we're, we're having this conversation here at church today. We know in the context of church, if something goes wrong, what ministry is responsible? St no, not the pastor. Oh, my goodness. What a... Oh, Sherry! <laughs> If something goes wrong at church, it's student ministry's fault, all right? It's a, it's a known truth. So let's say Pastor Eric, our pastor to students, and uh, Brian, who works with uh, some of our middle schoolers, they rob Nicole. Nicole's an eternal optimist, even though she's being beaten and robbed here. You know, she's still smiling. Uh, you get Eric and Brian seem to be enjoying this a little bit too much, all right? And so they, they rob Nicole. Now, not to do a job halfway, all right, they beat her half to death, they take her clothes, they take her money, and they leave her for dead. And as Nicole is laying there just broken, bleeding, and still happy because she's the eternal optimist, um, she's just hoping 
hoping and praying somebody is going to come and see her and help her. Now, Jesus tells us three people are going to head down this road. Three people are going to see Nicole. The, the first one we're told is a priest. This is the person in, in first century Judaism you would bring your sacrifices for sin to. This is a person who would minister the purification rites. This, for, in the mind of a Jew, in the mind of that lawyer or any Jew listening to Jesus' story, this, is, this person leads them in their faith. Today, this would be the most significant spiritual person you have in your life. Me, right? Right? Probably not, okay? But hopefully you get the idea, all right? The, the, the priest in first century Judaism, this would be like the lead pastor of your church, all right? The other person who we're told comes walking down the road, the first of two people, is a Levite, a Levite would assist the priest in the sacrificial duties. A Levite would help with the temple. A Levite was kind of like the associate priest. So this would be someone like Pastor James, all right? And look at him. He's on the move. He's on the go. He's constant motion. James is always getting something done. So these two guys, these two guys they come down the road first. And what you need to understand, in the mind of that lawyer, in the mind of any good Jew, if anybody is going to love God well, it's a priest and a Levite. If anybody can be counted on to love their neighbor, it's a priest and a Levite. And yet Jesus tells us that the priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. And not only does the priest do this, but so does the Levite. See, Mike and James... They see Nicole in her need. They hear her cries for help. And they step on over to the other side of the street. Keep their eyes forward. You don't make eye contact. When that person shouts out for help, you don't let yourself flinch or turn that way. You don't acknowledge that you heard a thing. You just keep on walking and do nothing. Now, Jesus tells us one last person comes walking down this road. And Jesus tells us that third person's a Samaritan. Now, I say Samaritan and none of you cringed. None of you caught up your breath. But Jesus' audience, that's exactly what they would have done. Because in the first century, there was no race on the planet that the Jews despised more than the Samaritans. A Jew then would, would feel about a Samaritan then the way that a civil rights leader today would feel about a member of the, the, the KKK. A Jew then would feel about a Samaritan then the way a Jew today might feel about a member of ISIS or the PLO. They despised them. These two races were constantly at one another's throats. In the mind of our lawyer or in the mind of any good Jew hearing Jesus' story, a Samaritan is the last person who's going to love God. They are the last person you're going to count on to love their neighbor. In the mind of that lawyer, a Samaritan is a reprobate who is so far from God, their life is beyond redemption. Now, who comes to mind on our staff when you think about something like that? Probably Pastor Laura, right? Right? 
Pastor Laura is our kids' pastor. Pastor James accused her of kicking babies the other day. I don't know what the deal with that was. But, um, and here's the thing. I'm not picking on Pastor Laura. A little bit, maybe. But I'm, I'm, the Samaritan's the hero. In the end, the Samaritan's the hero. And if you know Pastor Laura, she's a lot like the Samaritan. See, Jesus tells us the Samaritan, when he saw him, the person on the road, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for anything extra, any extra expense you may have. See, where Mike and James walk past Nicole and do nothing, Laura stops and she sees Nicole's need. She administers first aid to Nicole's wounds. Nicole, being the dirty, bleeding mess that she is, Laura puts her in her vehicle and drives her to a hotel. She checks her into the hotel and pays for her room herself. She says to the staff, hey, you do for Laura until Laura can do for herself and I'll pay you for it. She basically leaves her credit card at the front desk and says, hey, whatever expense, I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks, whatever expense you charge it to the card, I don't care what it is, when I get back, I'll sign off on it. In, in spite of the fact that Laura's a Samaritan, she loves Nicole well. And so Jesus finishes his story and he says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Now, what's the lawyer going to say? It's obvious. He knows. He can't escape the fact that the Samaritan had compassion. That the Samaritan loved well. That the Samaritan was a neighbor. But the, the, the lawyer can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. So he says, he was the one who showed him mercy. To which Jesus says, go and do likewise. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, if a Samaritan can truly be a neighbor, if a Samaritan can really love well, then so can you. So go and do likewise. See, in his story, I would contend that Jesus is trying to help us see what the love of God in our lives is really connected to. And Jesus doesn't connect it to a person's religious pedigree, their societal respectability, how well they follow the rules, even how well educated they are religiously. That Samaritan had none of those things going for him. And yet according to Jesus, he loved well. See, loving God and loving other people 
It's meant to happen when we have a genuine relationship with God. One that begins where, where we don't love God, but God first loves us. And through Christ's sacrificial work on the cross in our faith, God reconciles himself to us. And as God pours out his love in our lives, we respond by loving God back. And that love of God, it changes who we are. It's a love that cannot be contained. And it spills out of our lives and into the lives of other people. We become a conduit for God's love. See, in the mind of Jesus, one of the best measures of how much I've experienced God's love is how much other people experience God's love through me. In the mind of Jesus, one of the best measures of how much we've experienced God's love is how much others experience God's love through us. So Jesus says to that lawyer, go and do likewise. And Jesus says to you and me, this Christmas season, in a season where it's, again, so easy to get caught up into the trap of consumerism and being self-absorbed, Jesus says, no, 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 love your neighbor well. Go and do likewise. And so again today, I, I just want us to be aware of the trap and I want to encourage us as a church to continue to love like this. To continue to love well. To continue to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I say continue because that's what our Advent Lights campaign has been all about. If you're, if you're new here to faith, you're not familiar, you've just been ignoring us for last month, all right? Advent Lights is a campaign we engage in every Christmas season and it's a, it's a number of giving and serving opportunities that are designed to help us remember Christmas isn't about getting, Christmas is about giving. And, and I say continue because so many of you have been so generous with your time and your resources and your energy in the midst of this campaign. For example, um, Project Christmas Child, we've, we've got 150 shoeboxes that are leaving our church that are going to the third world, and every one of those shoeboxes is going to provide a kid with a fun Christmas, and it's also going to provide them with the hope of the gospel. 150 kids are going to hear about Jesus this Christmas because of you. Or Thanksgiving morning, while, while folks are sleeping in, while folks are shopping early, you know, there were a whole pile of people from our church who got up early, went down to Life Challenge, made breakfast, served breakfast, and ate breakfast with the staff and the residents at Life Challenge. I sat there and I watched hope infused into some of the people who need it most as our church did that. Or all kinds of you, you you've, you've gotten cans and Covenant World Relief calendars and you're collecting change. And you're going to be bringing it in, and you're going to be blessing people who have been hit by disaster all across the globe. I stand up here so proud of our church and our people for the way that so many of you have tried to live into this. But as the consumerism ramps up even more, I want to remind us of that and encourage us to continue to live into this. So, some more Advent Lights things that are coming up. We've got Angel Tree. 
Angel Tree is awesome. With Angel Tree, you provide a gift for a kid whose parent is incarcerated on behalf of that incarcerated parent. I have a friend who was a recipient of this when he was a kid. He will tell you it was a game changer in his life. With Angel Tree, if, if you're watching online, you want to be part of that, just fill out your connection card, put Angel Tree on that, we will get a hold of you. If you're in the room, you want to be part of Angel Tree, you go out these doors to the right, out to the community station. You can buy a gift for a kid, you can donate money, have somebody else shop for you, you can be one of the people who do the shopping, you can be one of the folks we always need folks to help deliver. You can help deliver gifts this year. Angel Tree's amazing. We've got Kingdom Cookie Elves. With Kingdom Cookie Elves, we're going to show up here on the 4th at 8 a.m., and we're literally going to bake hundreds and hundreds of cookies, and then we're going to take those out into the community and bless people with sugary goodness in Jesus' name, all right? They go to first responders, to teachers, to shut-ins, to friends, to family, to neighbors. You would be surprised at what a simple act of kindness can do to open a door to a spiritual conversation. Or we, we partner with a ministry called North American Japanese Outreach. Najo has figured out that there are all kinds of Japanese nationals here in Farmington Hills and Novi and West Bloomfield. They are on work assignment for three to five years. And when they are in the States, they are more open to the gospel than any other time in their lives. And so Najo seeks to reach these people with the gospel. When you're living in a foreign country during the holidays, it can be lonely and awkward and scary. And so Najo's saying, hey, would you have one of these families over for dinner during the holiday season? Again, you want to be part of this, put it on your connection card. Nadja will get a hold of you. They will get you connected with the family, tell you how to do this. They'll do all the legwork. You just got to host. These are just some of the things. You can go to 4FCC.org slash Advent Lights. There's all the stuff we've talked about and more. But again, the idea is in a season where we are pushed to think about ourselves, our goal in the weeks to come is to ask ourselves, how will we love well? And I love the, I love the way the Apostle John kind of summarizes Jesus' whole story in one sentence. He says this, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Our job as a church is to go, okay, Who's my neighbor this Christmas? And how will I love them well? It might be the stuff in the Advent, Advent Lights campaign. It doesn't need to be. There are all kinds of ways to love well. But who's my neighbor? How will I love well? How will I love them in deed and in truth? So before we have the band come back up, we're going to pray. Um, and just want to touch base about the Advent series that we're going to be kicking off next weekend. It's called Messy Christmas. We're going to look at the Christmas story in a fun, fresh, it will be messy kind of way. Uh, it's going to be a good time. But I want, I want to encourage you just to stop for a minute and to ask yourself, who do I have in my life right now who's not going to church? It may be a friend, it may be a coworker, it may be a neighbor, it may be a family member. Who do you have in your life who's not coming to church right now? I want you to understand that person is not in your life by accident. God has you in their life for a reason. And so if this is your church home, 
Your job in the weeks to come is to be praying for that person, to be loving them well, and then look for an opportunity to invite them out to church. There are physical invite cards for the series out at the Welcome Center. There are digital invite cards for the series on the church website. Your job is to pray for them, to love them well, to give them a card, to shoot them an email with a digital invite, and invite them to church. There is no time of year where people are more receptive to coming to church for the first time than this time of year. So everybody got their person in mind? You say yes, it makes me think you're listening to me. Everybody got your person in mind? All right, let's pray for your person. Father, just as we think about the people who you have in our lives, providentially, not accidentally, Father, we just want to lift these people up to you in our hearts. Father, we want to ask that even now you would make them receptive to a conversation about church. Give us opportunities to love them well and courage to invite them to join us at some point in the Advent series. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, 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 oh,